if there's anything, any questions at this time for Jatindri or I? Oh. Nor are my glasses. <laughs> <laughs> That bit of Margaret. Yeah. <coughs> We're getting more charged at in iron. This is since we sensitive to electricity, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, so all right, we'll uh, start here and then go to Patty, yeah? So Cheryl? Uh, could you talk about different stages of <coughs> contemplation? So to say. Can you say a bit more? Well, bef- before being capable of this uh, contemplate contemplation where the mind just does it. Yeah. Priming it, yeah. Priming it, yeah. 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 So we we prime it. You know, I feeding it with things that are nourishing in terms of you know, dharma understanding, and then we start you know, integrating that into how we're living. So you know, the contemplation, the classic one, the contemplation of the nature, permanence, change, movement. As Jatendra was saying the other night, and I've said earlier, we start just noticing in whatever is happening for us, the arising of something, its presence, and then fading away. And we're doing it on the cushion, off the cushion, wherever we are, to whatever extent we can. And it's like the mind gets, so that's, it's just how seeing everything. Yeah. So that when we come into more subtle um, experiences of mind, that is just part of what naturally comes with it. All you know, this beautiful word, you know, that we, what's really dull, seclusion. That we're, we're, responding to life, contemplating what's happening for us in, in alignment with this word. So that it's somewhere where the heart was always leaning. And I mean, I'm not meaning escaping from our family commitments in our life, but to, one way I think about it is never abandoning myself. So the mind is not so outward. I've lost all reference to what is happening here. We can take these words on many levels in many ways, but but that we we are taking times of just physical seclusion, times of um, times when we really. Well, hopefully we're attending to this all the time, where we're not letting the mind be 
harassed and the whole system kind of pounded by hindrances. Mm-hmm. We're protecting and taking care of kind of seclusion. Mm-hmm. And then there's the seclusion of being alone. Mm-hmm. So it's like just noticing this, noticing when there is seclusion. Noticing when the mind is not sticking to everything. Mm. So it's a way of inquiring into what is happening. When the mind recognizes the um, unsatisfactoriness of things and just lets it go, it's kind of relinquishing. You know, a bit like in this. You know, deeper development of Anapanasati, where there we are with this mind, you know, and it's really been gladdened, it's, it's luminous, you know, radiant, all round. And we think, I had a very strong image about it come up, but I won't use it because it may not, you know, it's a bit strong, but the sense of, you realize, huh, it's still. It's still conditioned, it's still got this rippling going on. Yeah. It's just like everything else. Yeah. And we start to, mind just goes, yeah. wants to come into something truer. Yeah. So we do this subtly, we do it big, we do it little. Yeah. But, you know, as you, many of you know, even doing the chanting really primes the mind. So you're suddenly sitting there, and you go, feeling is impermanent. Feeling is impermanent. And is what is impermanent satisfactory or unsatisfactory? Unsatisfactory. Is what is unsatisfactory, out of my control, can I call it what I am? Feeling is not self. So even the chants start fruiting. What I would say anyway. <laughs> I would say it slightly differently, because in, in essence, Anicca Dukkha Anatta is the mainstay of, um, did you say contemplation, stages of contemplation? So this is the mainstay from beginning stages to the final stages. So the Buddha said that. <coughs> The perception of impermanence, this is a paraphrase of course, the perception of impermanence leads to the perception of not-self. It's a doorway to deeper insight into the not-self nature of things. Another difficult concept, anatta, but some of you have touched into that, what that means experientially. Yeah, so that's, that's the mainstay, but it's reflected at all the way through practice at the beginning in these verses of Anapanasati and Satipatthana 
through to this final tetra, still noticing anicca, even the changing quality of those beautiful states. <coughs> and the fading away. But the, the cessation delivers one into nibbana, into the free, free heart, released heart, the unentangled heart. So the cessation is a translation of niroda. Cessation is a bit like the word emptiness for us in the West. It kind of conjures a nihilistic nothingness. So maybe they're not the best words, and so we keep having to explain them. For the Buddha, cessation is peace. It's the cessation of disturbance. The cessation of the ultimate cessation is the the cessation of greed, hatred, and delusion, because that's what disturbs the heart. When that ceases, there is peace. So this word cessation is pointing to that. These things are fading away. The suffering, those things cease. There's deliverance of the heart. There's true knowledge of that reality. Yes, um, as I go through um, the factors of awakening and um, move from energy to, um, let's see, we've got happiness, tranquility, and then there's samadhi. And I was sitting here at this brief brief time of contemplation and mindfulness and, and I thought, okay, now just in, here we just in to samadhi. In, in to samadhi. And I thought, okay, we're grasping here, are we? Yes. <laughs> Is it effort? Yes. Is this not this is not okay. Hmm. And so So this um, mindfulness, eh? Yes. Very absolutely. sharp mindfulness. Absolutely. Yeah. I still want it. But but you know, mindfulness is the critical factor. To samadhi? To to Everything. release. Of course, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe what needs to happen is rather than you know, where are you grasping samadhi? So what? Um, <laughs> <laughs> recognize the strength of the mindfulness that can know that. Yeah. Yeah, we get fixated on, on where we're missing it in some way. Yeah. But what actually is more helpful is to recognise these factors that are cultivated. You know, because our minds are tend are trained to be critical, judgmental and harsh. So what's it like to sit there and know, oh, my mindfulness is so sharp, I can even see the grasping of samadhi. That's very kind. (laughs) (laughs) It's true, isn't it? I'm not making it up. Mm-hmm.
listen. So when I'm harsh, it's a fierce mother bear, so I'm, I'm worried that it's going to sound harsh, but I've been, what I've been thinking about, and this is what I was trying to ask about yesterday, So animals, or all living beings around us, yeah. they're really trying to wake up. The weather's changing. I'm losing habitat, right? Yep. There's a yep. animal nature that's really active. And we're trying to use this brilliant practice. I'm going to try to make this a question, but maybe it's a comment that you can turn into a question. The Buddha, living in his time, and I'm kind of picking up a really helpful jit. Living in his time, so ascetic. It was this huge movement to find the middle way. Yeah. And at that moment of the middle way, he recognizes, this is partly indebted to Mark Epstein, oh my God, I just abandoned my son and my wife. Yeah. Because that was the conditions of waking up, right? Was, was somehow refusing this animalness, this sensualness. This, I mean, he couldn't wake up in that environment, right? That's so, so I think what I was trying to say or bring out yesterday, which I think I resolved very helpfully as a practice, but I wanted to pose this issue that, in, in Willow, when you made this gesture, the mind, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, that's a moment I don't trust much, right? It feels like it's too ascetic. Yep. I don't, yeah, yeah. No, is, that's... is it too ascetic? We pose it as a question, yeah. right? Like, or we, could, or we not feeling your the the goodness and softness of your heart, like we still have this harshness. Yeah. Maybe we get the wrong message. Ma maybe, maybe that's yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah no. Yeah. I mean what you're raising is critical, yeah? Right. It's critical. How are we actually picking up this whole thing and what is happening? And I often reflect, you know, I mean, you know, we can see Jitty and I, Liza, Ama yeah, we're not in monastic communities we once were. And when I was coming out, I thought, you know, it was so clear to me that in the time of the Buddha, there were, there, you either were fully immersed in, the, I don't know, the demands of lay life, or you had to completely renounce and go away. There seemed to be you never read of any real middle ground. There are a few people like, you know, that manage it, like the potter. But most people, it was a really radical choice one way or the other. And most women couldn't even make that choice. Mm -hmm. But our conditions are totally different. So your question about where is the middle is really relevant. <coughs> and what I think is, we at this time and lives can dwell in the middle where we have enough support to actually be able to sustain a kind of investigation and awareness of the Four Noble Truths which is really the work, isn't it? And it's really potent to do it in lives that are engaged in the world. It's harder, but it's incredibly potent. Mm. Yeah, and everything is trying to wake up. 
And yes, my gestures, you know, if anyone knows me, I have a slightly extreme mind in a way. Could you I'm just saying that if any people who know me as I tend to have a slightly extreme mind, you know, in, in some ways. And um, so, yeah, that gesture can look harsh too, but it's like, it's like, it's like suddenly feeling the um, harshness itself and you don't want anything to do with it. I think we might mistake the gestures when that, like yeah. here the Buddha's teaching and was trying to make us really aware of, you know, feeling into it for ourselves and not misperceiving. Yeah. You know, I don't, I actually think we misperceive you. I, I didn't mean to say that. Yeah. It's harsh. No, but, so but it's harsh. helpful because I don't mean it as a harsh gesture. It's, and that's why I didn't use the image that came up because I thought, I don't know how this would even land. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's um, it's like we are so we so it's about because it comes back to love in a way the the the, the wish for well-being, harmlessness, and just. I don't. I realise I'm holding a gun, and I'm putting it down. So it has a kind of almost like an urgency in it. You realise what you're holding something really dangerously. Yeah. So it's not from harshness. It's from the very opposite that the movements, these movements of relinquishment have to come. No. No, that is tricky, isn't it? And that's why, you know, as I said at the beginning of the morning, I feel these different currents happening. Sorry, I could feel. Sorry, sorry, Ruby. It could, you know, in the beginning of the morning, just feeling these different currents in the room. You know, so it can be really hard to speak in a way that makes sense, because some of us or some of you are really still in this process with Anapanasati. Other people are more emerged and in a kind of different place in the integration of practice. And, you know, things can start to get a bit discordant. So, you know, it, pick up what's helpful, test it out, you know, see what works. If it feels that it brings contraction, put it aside, you know. Will you, will you write out the gong and put it up for us on the board? Is that okay? Can do you mind doing that? No, I can do it. It's a remembered translation of a bad translation. Because <laughs> 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 I, I was thinking of it last night as it had come up, I thought, become, become. No, no. All wrong. <laughs> has a wrong resonance for what's actually happening. So maybe I can see if I can find a, uh, a, 
but sometimes you just have to work with the translations we've got and feel out well what feels true within them. But it's your translation. Well, it's the only translation I had accessible at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Maybe we. What's the clock say? Clock. Yeah. We do have time, Jim. Um. I'm, I've been, so mainly yesterday at the end of the retreat, I noticed that in, especially in formal meditation, like I can, there are experiences of the peace that come up when there's letting go, and there's less of a self and less of a world in those experiences. But then after those experiences, there's uh, another kind of self and this is like a pattern that I have that I know I noticed yesterday that arises around those experiences and this identity of being a practitioner. And I've noticed that before, but I continually get caught up in it, especially when I'm sort of practicing on my own. So I was wondering if you could talk to that. And it's that, that uh, grasping is so opposite of the insight yeah. that might arise from that meditation experience. So what you're noticing is good. You know, what you, you're noticing this is good because you know, the self constellates in many different ways and in finer and finer ways uh, you know, as we actually develop these faculties of mind, of deeper clarity and insight, we see different permutations, different ways, the mind constellates a sense of self. This is kind of represented in a way, and we talk, he talked about the, something called the ten fetters, you know, what drops away at different stages of awakening. And, um, one of the first things that drops away is self-view on, on the first taste of the deathless. This thing called self-view or personality view, which is, uh, you know, the assumed 100% belief that I am this body-mind. Yeah. And so you kind of, that belief breaks open because you see something different now. And so there's some fresh air coming into this you. So you can't believe it 100% again, but it, it continues to reconstellate in different situations. So you, you kind of get enmeshed and entangled again, but something in you can't believe it 100% anymore. It's not completely fooled by it anymore. You know, there's some, some light entering into the dark rooms, another metaphor. You can't believe the world is completely dark anymore. Yeah. And one may be practicing the path like that for a long time, you know, in terms of the self still reconstellates, but as mindfulness and all the factors deepen, it starts to loosen up, you know, more light comes in. And even in the final stages, you know, of what's called a, a non-returner, um, where they've actually abandoned the, the gross levels of greed, hatred and delusion, but there's still the flavour of self. They don't believe it, but it still kind of constellates in subtle ways. You know? yeah. And so these are still the, the final 
veils of ignorance, if you like, and um, it's called, it gets translated, manas, or yeah, manas, it gets translated as conceit. But it's not the conceit that necessarily, though it's part and parcel of it, we feel conceit is a kind of arrogance, a puffed up, I know it all. But it's the way the Buddha describes this is that the habit of conceiving, conceiving self in this experience. Um, there's a particular formula where one either believes um, this body is myself, or self is in the body, or self owns the body, or the body owns self, this kind of permutation. You know? And in relation to the other things too, even sense consciousness, some final belief that I am somehow in this or own it or of it, you know, some relationship. So this subtle dualism is still operating. You know, and that's, that's in higher stages of awakening. And that only drops away with the final deepened insight, that subtle conceiving, habit of conceiving self in a slightly dualistic way, the way self constellates in different situations. So the practice is just to know it and see it when it's, <coughs> excuse me, know it and see it when you experience it. And know it as, hmm, the sense of self is constellating. It's constellating here. And keep using your mindfulness in relation to that. Sometimes we believe it and we recognize it retrospectively when we kind of softened out of it again. So it's, you know, that's another a deepening level of contemplation. So one of the similes used to describe this experience um, by some of the Buddha's disciples was that um, self-view, the grosser sense of self-view, that when that's removed, it's like taking fragrant flowers out of a room, but the scent of the flowers still remains for some time. Even though the flowers are gone, there's still this lingering fragrance, and that's like the lingering sense of self that's still within habit formations, if you like. Um, so it's, it's nothing to do with trying to get rid of it. You know, they're the grosser levels of craving, trying to hang on to something or get rid of something. It's through contemplation, through understanding, seeing clearly when it's present, when it's absent, how it comes to be, how it ceases, fades. And that's just the, the work of the path that continues. Does that make sense? Yeah. Good. Maybe enough for now, eh? Okay. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.